Hello, this is Pastor Nathaniel, and you're listening to the Edda Talk for the Eddie Walk Podcast. Here you'll find messages meant to edify and encourage God's people in the maturity, purity, and unity that comes from following Christ. From devotional thoughts to sermons from our Sunday morning services, my prayer is that the time you spend listening to this podcast will help you grow closer to our Lord and also lead you to loving others like He loves us. Let's get right to it. of your pastor for uh, being on vacation right now, and I think he's in a warmer part of the country, and so I'm really jealous about that, but it's been, uh, it's been fun to journey out here. It took me two hours to get here, but it was beautiful. I did the, the backcountry roads, and uh, it was really nice to make the trip this morning, and along the way, of course, I'm thinking about the sermon. I've been thinking for a while now, not just for your church. Um, I've been working on this sermon, bits and pieces of it, for a couple churches, but it's been something that's really been lingering and, and sort of on my mind is, what is the church? What are we for? Why are we here? The world's complicated. It's so complicated. It's gotten more complicated in the last couple of years, but I want you to know it hasn't just been because of COVID that the world has become complicated. When we first went to Northwest Nazarene University as the chaplains, we, our very first year, 2014 was our first year there, and we were both graduates of that university, and so we were coming back to our alma mater, and I was shocked. My very first year, both of us were shocked at how many students at NNU, so one of our denominational schools, come to the university suffering from depression, anxiety, like off the charts. And in fact, there's this longitudinal study that's been done of college freshmen that goes beyond just Christian universities, but it's all universities, this 50-year study that they've been doing and they've been able to track. And this generation has been struggling far more than previous generations. Did you know suicide is on an increase? Our world is complicated And it's complicated because of a pandemic, of course, but I want you to know that it's been complicated even before the pandemic. And and in the times of, of uncertainty and turmoil, we, as the people of God, I think, need to step back and ask, what is our role here? Who are we? The problem is, when things are really complicated, it's really easy to get lost in the complication. We begin to grasp for for certain answers, things that will give us certainty, things that will answer all the problems that we're facing. And it's in those moments that we, the people of God, have to be very careful, I think, because we can start grasping for easy answers that might not be the right answers. They might sound like the right answers. They might make a lot of sense to us. But in the end of the day, they actually may not be what God desires for the church. As I've been thinking about this and wrestling with this, who is the church? What is the church? What are we supposed to be in this complicated world that we live in? I was reminded of a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. I'm not going to preach from this passage, but I think it helps to set the framework for how I want to move forward. You might remember at the end of Joshua chapter 5, the the people of God have come out of the wilderness wandering, and Joshua is about to lead them across 
into, into uh, the, the Holy Land, right? The land that, that's flowing with milk and honey. And, and before they enter in, they have to come up against Jericho. And right before this, Joshua is out just wandering around, and he suddenly is confronted with this stranger. Now, we're told in the text who this stranger is, a commander of the Lord's army, but Joshua doesn't know this. All he sees is somebody that he doesn't know. And in the midst of getting ready to go to battle against this land that has purported uh, giants in it, right? There's got to be some fear with Joshua, this young leader, as he's leading these people into this promised land. He's got to have some fear, some trepidation. Here he comes across this stranger, and what does he do? He asks the stranger the question that we're asking all the time in our country right now. Whose side are you on? Are you with us? Or are you against us? And now... That's an old question, but it's a question that we hear a lot today, don't we? A lot of lines are being drawn in the sand, a lot of battle lines, ideological battle lines, theological battle lines, political battle lines. I mean, you just go down the list, and it's like battle line after battle line after battle line. Whose side are you on? Now, we understand that question, don't we? But here's where I want to give you something to consider. The response by the commander of the Lord's army is neither. Neither. Now remember, Joshua is the leader of God's people. Surely the commander of the Lord's army is on Joshua's side. True? That's not what he says. Neither. What's the implication here? Well, the implication is this. The commander of the Lord's army is on God's side. Always on God's side. God's people? Maybe not always on God's side. And we can read that throughout the history of, of our scriptures. We can read it through the history of the church, that sometimes God's people get off track. Now, for you and I, in this complicated world that we're living in, where we're thrown uh, to make lots of decisions and choices, and lots of paths are presented to us, and a lot of people are talking, this is the one thing that you and I have to consider. We now live in a day and age where we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk some more. 24-hour news cycle, social media, people are spewing forth word upon word upon word like it's unprecedented in human history. And we have to navigate that. You and I have to figure out which one's the right path, who's speaking truth, which way's the right way. And what we need to consider at the very outset here is that, guess what? Just because you and I go to church, just because we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, just because we call ourselves Christians, just because we read our Bibles doesn't necessarily mean that we're always going to be on God's side. But that's the goal of the church, is it not? Always to be on God's side. So, it seems to me, as I've been reflecting and chewing on this and thinking about the church and all the comp complexities of our world right now, and who are we supposed to be, and how are we supposed to be this God, that maybe we should pause and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And to consider, as we pause, that you and I might need a course correction. No, I've never preached to you guys before. I just have met a few of you, so no, please don't take that as any sort of judgment. Just as a statement, right? That you and I, myself included, may need to pause for a second and say, God, maybe I've gotten off track. 
maybe you need to do a course correction in my life. Would you use this sermon to do that? So let's pray. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that we believe inspired these words that we're about to read. It's the same Spirit that can inspire us to help us to hear them anew. I pray more than anything, God, that you would make the words of Paul, which indeed we believe are your words given to him, that you would make them come alive in each of us this morning. Help us to be your people, people that are on your side in this world. The text I want to preach from comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm going to Ephesians because Ephesians is, or uh, the church in Ephesus was a perfect church. It, of course, wasn't a perfect church. There are a couple different places that you can read. You can go to the, the book of Acts, or you can go to 1 Timothy, and you can kind of hear some of the warts of this church. You can also go to the book of Revelation, and you might recall that this is one of the seven churches that's listed in the book of Revelation, and they're praised in that book. As all the churches are praised for something good, their patient endurance is what they're praised for, but they're also condemned because of their lovelessness, their lack of love. The church in Ephesus wasn't a perfect church because, in fact, there is no perfect church. It's an ordinary church, filled with ordinary people, did really good things, did some crummy things, things to praise God about and things to repent of. But the book that is written, that is pinned to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, is a fascinating letter. Because unlike any other letter in the New Testament, it's not written to attack or address a specific theological problem. That's not why the book of Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians, excuse me, is written. Here's this this book that was circulated in in the ancient world that was written to give us a model of what the church should be and could be, who we are supposed to be. And so I think it's a fitting book to to reflect on. Now here's the problem for you. Your pastor unbeknownst to you, and you have no fault in this, it's your pastor, um, has asked a pastor to come preach that doesn't get to preach that often. (laughs) Do you know what that means? i got to preach a lot today, because i got to get it out. Guess how many points I have today? First of all, you need to know this about me. I rarely preach sermons that have points. Uh, It's just, I like narrative-style sermons. But in this case, I'm going above and beyond for you, because I'm going to give you seven points. (laughs) Yeah, well, look at your watch, (laughs) calculate out seven points, how many, oh boy, we're going to be here for a while. Uh, I'm going to go fast, okay? It's the problem of only getting preaching every once in a while, just really got to get it out there. I thought, um, well, seven points is too much, come on. I'll give you a few points. But then the problem is, I think you miss out on what I think is happening in these verses. And so I am going to move quickly. With this in mind, my job today is not to tell you everything. We couldn't do that anyway. But that's not the point. The point is I want to give you a broad look 
at these verses so that you can chew on them and talk about them, go home and wrestle with them with each other. As a church, you can wrestle with them so that you can continue kind of the sermon, okay? Uh, So I'm going to ask, if you are able, if you would stand for the reading of God's word as I read from Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 3. My, my sermon is going to, to focus on verses 3 through 10, but I'm going to continue uh, reading it through 14. And this morning, I've chosen to read from the uh, New Revised Standard Version just because it helps to make the points of my sermon a little clearer for you, okay? I understand that not everybody has the NRSV, but uh, you can follow along. So hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ is a plan for the fullness of time. To gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an an inheritance, there we go, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we, who were first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In In him you also When you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance, toward redemption, as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. Amen. You can be seated. Well, there's a lot here, of course. And part of the reason that I've chosen just to focus on verses 3 through 10 is something interesting in the Greek manuscript. It's one sentence. (laughs) It's 201 words. One sentence. Any English teachers in here? Any grammarians in here? People who love grammar? Oh, what a nightmare, right? (laughs) The punctuation nightmare. 201 words, one sentence, but did you hear it? It's so much packed into these few verses that it's almost hard to take in. It's like Paul has just just given given us this, this amazing opening that draws us into the presence of God, and I think there's something amazing about this. It's it's too much almost. It's it's hard to process. It's oh my, we need to take a breath. Pause. Paul, maybe put a, pit, uh, a period there. Let's, let's sit on that one for a little bit. But no, he just keeps going and he keeps going. And I think that's a good reminder to us in some ways that we live in this age where we, we kind of fancy ourselves to be so smart and educated, and we are, and we're technologically advanced. And one of the downsides of that is that we can sometimes think that we know everything. When you bring that to God, guess what happens to us people of faith? 
we begin to put God into this box. Now, God doesn't like to be in a box. He can't be put in a box, but we like to pretend like we can't for some reason. And here's this introduction, 201 words, one sentence long. It's one phrase after another that's bombarding us. and It's almost too much to take in, and I think it's a good reminder to us that guess what, people? Our God can't be boxed in. He doesn't fit into our nice, neat sentences. He, isn't, he doesn't fit into our nice, neat categories. Our God is big, amen? Too big for even our minds to comprehend fully. And so we're going to stagger a little bit as we hear these, these verses, and that's good. I think that's a good reminder to us. But if you were paying attention, in those verses from 3 through 10, there were seven key verbs that were highlighted. I'm going to follow them along, and according to the NRSV, just helps to clarify it for us. Um, but you can look in your translation, and we better jump right in, or we're going to be here all day. So, the first verb, blessed, verse 3. Did you notice that God's first listed? Here's this letter that's written to God's people, but Paul doesn't say, you are blessed first. Did you notice the order? God is blessed. And because God is blessed, then we are blessed. He does say that we are blessed. But he starts with God. God is blessed, so we are blessed. What God does is grounded in who God is. Did you hear that? What God does is grounded in who God is. In other words, God cannot do anything in this world that is contrary to his character. So the very character of God is blessing. Now, how do we know that? Because if you follow along in Scripture at all, start at the very beginning. What does God do Do when he creates? He blesses, right? And he blesses it, and he calls it good, and he blesses it, and he calls it good, and he creates humanity, and he blesses it and calls us good. God blesses from the very opening of our Bible. And as you read the pages and you go on through the prophets and you go on into the New Testament and all of a sudden a, a Christ child comes, God blesses us with this gift of a child that leads to our salvation. The testimony of Scripture from beginning to end is that God blesses us. Why does God bless us? Because God is blessed. God acts out of who He is. God is blessed. So we are blessed. Now that's a good word for us, church. In a day where life is very complicated, there's a lot of bad news when we turn on the TV or listen to the radio, get on the internet. It's bad news after bad news after bad news. And if you're like me, you're sick of the bad news. But the church, what do we have? Good news. Thank you. Good news. Right? Good news. News, it starts with this. Our God is blessed. And because our God is blessed, he's blessing us. Blessing. Now, church, the question I have for us, is that who we are? If our God is a blessing God, doesn't it stand a reason that the church, the universal church, every church that proclaims Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, certainly I would believe that the church of the Nazarene is in this, right? Are we a people that's blessing others? Seems like there's a place for us right now in this world where there's a lot of bad news for us to proclaim good news, which starts with blessing. Well, that's all I can do. 
Point one. Done. Check it off, right? We move on. Uh, point two. So you're going to have to just kind of make some notes and wrestle with this, think about it a little bit. The second verb. The second verse, verb comes in verse four, and it's the verb chosen. Now, we need to pay attention here. It's not that we have chosen God. God has chosen us. We live in a world, again, bad news, yes, but we also live in a world that's filled with a lot of pain and hurt. We know that. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to the fact of chosenness. How many in a, you don't have to raise your hand, please don't raise your hand, but how many in here can remember not being chosen at some point in your life? Some of us carry memories of not being chosen by our own parents. I was given up by adoption by my father. It's not a painful experience to me, but it's sad. Some of us weren't chosen for the things that we wanted to do or what we thought we were passionate about. Things at school, we weren't chosen at recess for the right team. A lot of us, maybe we were chosen for a time and then suddenly the spouse decided that they no longer chose us. We, we experience this, this pain, this grief, this sadness, and sometimes even shame that comes with this idea that we're not chosen, that we didn't measure up to somebody else's expectation, that, that we weren't enough. We weren't good enough, we weren't pretty enough, we weren't handsome enough, we weren't strong enough, we didn't make enough money, we weren't educated enough, whatever it is, we weren't born in the right place, didn't, whatever it is, it seems that we are very good at identifying the things that for reasons we don't want to choose some people. And we've all been touched by that, experienced that in some way, and I think we carry the pain of that. And, and we're not the only ones. All these people that live in Springwater, guess what? They've probably been touched by that pain as well, carrying this idea that they aren't enough. And we open up the inspired Word of God, this letter that's written to us that we're listening to right now that we believe is truth, and guess what it says to you? You are chosen. Wow. Chosen? What? Me? You? Why, God? Why? There are no qualifications here. There are no like clauses that say everyone's chosen, but this whole passage is written in the second person plural. Y'all. Y'all are chosen. <laughs> Here's the good news for you. If you're listening to my voice, and I hope you are and still aren't awake, and you're still awake, still are awake. Yeah, there you go. And you're listening, you are chosen, that you're hearing the truth of God. You, my friend, are chosen. Chosen. God has chosen us. We live in a world that's having a lot of negativity spoken right now, and we have this message that's given to us that we are blessed. That we are chosen. Ah, it seems like maybe we have something to offer the world, doesn't it? But we can't stop there, so we've got to go on to the third verse, which is a little bit of a synonym of the, of the second verse, verb, excuse me, uh, which comes from verse 5, destined. Now, your translation might say predestined. Uh, this can get into big theological discussions. We don't have time for that today because I have a seven-point sermon, remember? Uh, just going to skirt right past that. <laughs> No, I, there are lots of dis, uh, kind of debates about this. 
But here's what I want you to think about and wrestle with this week when it comes to this idea of predestination or destiny. With this idea that we are chosen, we have this this partner verb that's attached to it, that we're chosen for a purpose. I want you to think about predestination or destination, uh, destiny as this idea of destination. Why are you chosen is the question I want to pose to you. Why are you chosen? What is your purpose? Why has God chosen you and what does he want you to do? Well, this verb tells us our destiny is to be adopted by God. To be the sons and daughters of God is what Paul says here. You and I are chosen and destined to be God's children in this world. This is your destination. This is your purpose. This is why God sees you, God blesses you, and God chooses you because he wants you and me to be his children. To be his children. I think that's beautiful. And we could get kind of bogged down in some of the theology of this. When does he choose? I think it's just enough for us right now to just sit on this. You're chosen and you're destined to be his children. Amen? That's a good word for us. And it seems to us, or seems to me as I read the scriptures, that there's something that comes out when, when God chooses his children, that often what's attached to this is a name change, right? When God chooses somebody, when God intersects somebody's life and says, I have a new destination, a new destiny for you, there's a name change that comes with that. Now, we haven't carried that on in this day and age too much. I have met a few people, by the way, that have changed their their given name to a new name. But I want to give to you a name change that I think applies to all of us. The moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, you take on a new name, Christian. Christian. Now that name has been sullied a lot in recent years, hasn't it? Sometimes unfairly, but we have to be honest and say that sometimes it's because some of us Christians haven't lived up to the name very well. Christian. Did you know Christian means little Christ? Your destiny is to be a little Christ. No, you're not the savior of the world. Don't, don't hear that. I'm not the savior of the world. Our destiny is to be like Christ, created in his image and likeness. All of that negative sinfulness, all of that past destructiveness that we once were, all of that is old clothing. That's the old life. We shed that off, thanks be to God, through the Holy Spirit. We're given new life. A new nature is given to us that we can be like Christ in this world. We have a new destination to be like Jesus. Well, that's good news for us. We don't have to live by what we once were. We can now be something new. That seems like a good message that the church has been given to pass on to others, but we've got to keep going. So let's jump on to our fourth and fifth verbs. I'm going to link these two together because they are synonyms of one another, but there's a reason that we need to also think about them as independent. Bestowed and lavished are the verbs in my translation. Verses 6 and 8. Something really interesting about these two verbs. 
So bestowed, we'll start with it. Grace is bestowed. It's only used one other time. The Greek word that's translated here as bestowed is only used one other time in the New Testament. In Luke's gospel, he uses it when the angel comes to Mary and calls her highly favored. That same word, highly favored, is the same word that's translated here as bestowed. Okay? So I want you to think for a second. Why does this matter? Who cares? Well, here's what I want you to think about. We talk a lot in the church about grace, and rightfully so. But we have to be reminded of the roots of it. The roots of it go back to that Luke passage that that we were lost. That we were lost in our sins, but God breaks forth in this moment and says to you, highly favored one, I have grace for you. That's how sacred grace is. Do you get it? It's bestowed. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. Grace is unmerited favor. We know that, right? You don't, that's what grace is by definition. You cannot earn it. You cannot work your way into God's grace. All you can do is be like Mary and receive it. And when you receive grace, I want you to know it's bestowed on you. And why does that word matter? Because it makes it sound as if it's important, doesn't it? It is. Grace is important. It's sacred. One of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has written a a great book. If you ever get a chance, you should read it. It's called um, Costly Grace. I think that's the title of it. That might not be right, now that I say that out loud. (laughs) The Cost of Discipleship. There it is. (laughs) It came to me. Uh, That wasn't in my notes. That's a freebie. Uh, But he does talk in The Cost of Discipleship about costly grace. I want you to think today how much grace costs God. He's chosen you. He wants to bless you. He's given you a new destiny. It's all built on grace. God chooses it. But it costs. It costs God everything. And yet he's been willing to give it, hasn't he? We sang about it today. He's given it to us. It costs everything. And I think the bestow language helps remind us, okay, when we talk about grace, we've got to be careful that we don't call it cheap grace. It's, it's not, we don't treat it cavalierly. We don't just, like, as Paul mentions elsewhere in like Romans, that, you know, yeah, grace. It's, God will give it, so let's just sin all the more. No. No. This is costly. This is sacred. This is holy. It's bestowed on you. And I think the beauty of that is that, oh, we have to be careful with grace. And in our minds, we might think, okay, grace is, is something sacred. It's something valuable. It's, it's important. Therefore, maybe God is miserly with it. Familiar with that word? <laughs> Stingy. That because it is so valuable and because it does cost God so much that he's only going to give out little, little bits here and there. And Man, if you don't accept it the first time, sorry, you're out of luck. Is that how we view God? Well, if it is, I want to give you a little bit of a wake-up call because the second verb that Paul gives us when he's talking about the grace is the partner verb, lavished. Now, this is important. So on one hand, it's bestowed. Grace is bestowed. It's sacred. It's, it's an amazing gift. We can't earn it. We can only receive it. It's as if God is saying to us, I, I'm presenting the Christ child to each of us as we say yes to him, right? Savior has come to us. 
But don't think for one second that God is giving it begrudgingly because God lavishes his grace. 75 times in the New Testament, the Greek word that's translated here as lavished is used. That's a lot. But you want to know something interesting? 78 times, excuse me, 45 times Paul uses it. Paul loves this word lavished. Grace is bestowed, but grace is lavished. It's given, and it's given, and it's given, and it's given because guess what? This is who our God is. God can only act out of his character. And what is his character? To love us, to be gracious to us. And so God gives, and God gives, and God gives. And this is an excuse for his people to take that and to abuse it, of course. But it is to be grounded in this idea that it is okay. You feel as though you haven't measured up. I feel as if I haven't measured up. I've cheapened God's grace. Confess it. Repent of it. And guess what's there for you? Grace. (laughs) Grace. Now, we live in a world that seems in very, very short supply of grace right now. I mean, the whole uh, cancel culture is an example of a lack of grace. Now, on one side of that, we need to have serious repercussions to sins, don't we? Accountability. People shouldn't get away with sins. We get that. But people of God, we have to balance that accountability to sinfulness with the fact that God offers grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's what he's done for you. That's what he's done for me. Don't you think that's what God wants to do for all the people of this world? He wants them to experience his grace. And guess what, church? We're these grace outposts. Not places of condemnation. Not places that primarily land at judgment. Places of grace. Accountability? Yes. Grace? Absolutely. It's bestowed. But it's lavished. It's given and given and given. Oh, if we could be a part of that. I've been talking a lot. Are you guys listening fast? (laughs) Oh, we're we're doing good, though, because we're on verb six. Six of seven. All right. We're moving along. Are you guys tracking with me? All right. Verse, or the sixth verb, made known comes in verses 8 and 9. So here we are. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're destined, we're grace-bestowed, and we're grace-lavished people who have been given the wisdom of God's will. Whoa. Whoa. Church, did you hear that? We've been brought into the mystery of who God is. He's, He's going to empower us. Not just sit on the sidelines and receive these good gifts that he's been giving us, but he's going to empower us to know his will. Now, I think it's important to note something here. I don't think Paul is writing about all facts and knowledge. In other words, I don't think it is the privilege of the church to know everything about everything. There are lots of good experts in the world that have been endowed by God 
It's okay to listen to them, as long as they don't say things that are contrary to Scripture, of course. But God is in all places, isn't he? Working in all people. And so why should we be surprised that some people over here know a little bit more about engineering than some of us sitting here in the pews, right? I don't know about you, but I want my engineers to be trained. I want my bridges to be constructed by good engineers and not just good lay people. (laughs) You hear me? It's okay. I want my surgeon to be somebody that's been trained to be a good surgeon. I trust that God can heal us, but I also know that God has endowed some people to be really wise when it comes to surgery, to medicine. I, I, I embrace that. I don't think that that's what Paul's saying, is that somehow we have to contain all wisdom in the church. What does he say? That we are to know God's will. Now guess what? You can't go and get a PhD to know God's will, necessarily, can you? You can't go to the med school to, to know God's will. You have to be in relationship with God to know God's will. You cannot know God and know God's will. You cannot know God's will and not know God. Did I say that right the first time? I think I said it wrong. (laughs) I better back up because I think I said you can't know God. If you don't know God, you can't know God's will. If you don't know God's will, you can't know God. These two things work back and forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was kind of confusing, but I think we got there, right? If you want to know God's will, you got to know God. And when you know God, you're going to know God's will. Not everything about everything, but in the moment. Do you think God doesn't want you to know what his will is for your life and he's going to make it known to you? Of course he will. Now, he may not do it on your timing, but he'll make it known if we're faithful, if we continue to seek God. The thing I want you to hear here is that it's relational knowledge. All too often in our world today, knowledge is based on facts and figures, data, disconnected from all kinds of things. But that's not the church. Our understanding, our knowledge is connected to the person of Jesus Christ who reveals to us the will of the Father. It's relational knowledge. You have to be in relationship with Christ to know the will of God. To be in relationship means that we have to cultivate practices and habits that help us to discern Jesus' voice, the Holy Spirit's voice, and not just the many, many, many other voices that are speaking in our world. Our last verb is to gather all things up, verse 10. So what is the will ultimately of God? It's to gather all things up. Did you hear that, church? That's ultimately his will. He's given you this great message. These verbs have been given to you. He's called you into relationship. And now he wants us to understand that the role of the church in this world is to gather up. Not because of who we are, but because of who we represent. In other words, church, we live in a very conflicted and divided country right now. The opposite of what God's desire is. Because the testimony of Scripture is that God's desire is to unite, to bring together, to make whole all these separate pieces that have been divided because of sinfulness. He wants to redeem, reclaim, renew, bring back together. And the church, you and I stand at the center of this. That's 
part of our call. It's part of your call wherever you go in this community. Part of what should be in the back of your head is the gathering up. God, where are you? If your desire is to gather up, that means you're in every aspect of this community, in the far reaches of this community, in all of upstate New York, and all over this country, and all over this world. You are there, and you are trying to gather up these loose pieces, these separated pieces. How can I partner with you, God? Every day we wake up. That should be on our minds. God, how can I be part of your gathering up? So if you've been paying attention, and I hope you have, we've heard this. We're blessed, chosen, destined, grace bestowed, lavished on us. God's will has been made known, and we've been gathered up. If you go back to the text, every single one of these verbs is attached to Christ. Blessed in Christ. Chosen in Christ, destined through Christ, grace bestowed in Christ, lavished on us because of Christ, God's will made known in us, or made known in Christ, and we've been gathered up in Christ for seven verbs, seven Christ. Not seven different Christ, I hope you understand what I'm saying, but Christ is a part of every one of them. In other words, Christ has fulfilled what the Father has desired. But if you go back again to the text, I want you to notice it's not just the seven verbs and the Christ is attached to each of the verbs. There's also another group that's attached. Us. Every single time. Us. Blessed because of Christ. Who's blessed? We are. Us. So church, this is what I've been wrestling with. In this complicated world that we live in. And it is complicated. And it's sad and it's depressing in a lot of ways. And it's hard. Man, we've been given a good message that actually might land, that might find inroads right now because there are a lot of hurting people. And our message is what? One of blessing, one of chosenness, one of destination, one of grace, of God's will being made known, of gathering up. This is a good word that we, the church, have been given. And so today, I've wanted to wrestle with seven verbs with you because I want to end with this. I believe the church is not just a noun, a place. I believe the church should be a verb, an action, that you don't leave what you hear in this place. This place is beautiful, beautiful church. And I'm so thankful that you have it positioned here as people come up the hill so that they can see, ah, there's hope for me. But church, let's not leave it here. Let's be a church that is a verb, that goes forward. And you've been given seven different ways to enact that, to believe it, to live it. And I don't know what God wants to do in your life specifically. I just know that I have been convicted that maybe, maybe, I've been distracted. Maybe I've set down some things that I should pick back up. Maybe I need to be more like a verb than a noun. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for their patience with me this morning. We covered a lot, but we blame Paul for that. 
we thankful for his words, actually, that were inspired by you. It's a lot to wrestle with. It's, a, it's hard. It's a lot there, God. And we're just scratching the surface. And, and I think there's a lot that you could go and search us, and, and we could explore the depths of these seven verbs. But it's enough for right now to just be reminded that you have given us an amazing message. An amazing call that first and foremost applies to each of us in this place. God, if there are any sitting here this morning who in the midst of this message heard for the first time that actually they're chosen, that they're loved, I pray that they would embrace that truth. The rest of us that have heard that and known that, maybe, maybe it's been rekindled in us. Oh, that's right. I kind of got distracted. God, would you remind us that, that you have lavish grace, that you have grace upon grace. Would you give us grace? Help us to live into this calling that you've given us. God, I pray that the Springwater Church of the Nazarene would not just be a beacon in this building. We're thankful for this building. But God, would you be with its people? As they leave this place and as they go forth in this community, whoever they're in contact with, would you help them to embody the verbs that we have studied today? I think if we do that, it will be to your glory and your honor and your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate us on iTunes or like our page, Springwater Church the Nazarene on Facebook. Have a great day and Lord bless.